This is Killstreak episode 12. I am Eric Goslin, and joining me on this 4th of July, Mike Price. Hi, Mike. Hello, everyone. Nationalism is canceled. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just a Saturday, but yeah. thanks, for, thanks for listening to the podcast. Um, you are probably going to hear some explosions outside of my window, because <laughs> uh, even though it is 3 in the afternoon... My neighborhood uh, goes fucking bananas for about two months and yeah. will continue <laughs> to be crazy as far as fireworks. And my dog just has mm-hmm. never been more miserable. I'm curious to hear from people in other parts of the country, because as you know, listeners and Eric knows, I'm in Austin, Texas now. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that this is a real L.A. phenomenon, like, yeah. the, like just so many fireworks at all times of the summer, honestly. Yeah, and I've always lived on the east side of L.A., uh, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's a really east side-specific thing, too. What um, do you mean by that, Eric? Well, what do you mean by that? I just think it's a cultural yeah. thing. What is The that? culture what you, of, of east L.A. I, I don't understand. Can you be more explicit? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's... If you were to even go on to next door and see all the, the the new people who live in the neighborhood complaining about the fireworks, you'll get uh-huh. about 50 people who have lived here for 40 years yeah. uh, saying like, yeah, you just don't know what it's like living out here. Yeah. Are, is there, would you say that there's anything that the new people on next door have in common? Oh, yes. They're white people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> is that what you're trying to pull for me? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I mean, I, um, yeah, no, it's, it's all the like new white people who have moved into the neighborhood. Not right. that I am not a white a white person, but I've lived on this side of town for fifteen years now. So yeah, I know yeah. what I, I know what to expect. Yeah. Um so anyway, now that you're trying to make me seem racist on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> I think you did pretty well. I think you I think you dodged and juked admirably. So <laughs> Thank you. Oh yeah. man, I am I can already tell I'm gonna get sweaty because I closed all my windows. Yeah, uh, for those of you I'm gonna He's going to open a window, and for those of you wondering, it is in fact an Eric Goslin tank top day. So, yeah, I mean, you can see those tats. So, today we have gathered here to discuss the second Friday the 13th movie, Friday the 13th Part 2. If you haven't, you should definitely check out our episode on Part 1. Mm hmm. And, uh, which I, you know, these will be coming out hot and heavy. Um, Yeah. We're going to be releasing two a week now. Yeah. Yeah, we've been using our Thursday uh, sort of sometime release slot quite frequently. Mm-hmm. And uh, we decided that, you know, for for our listeners, uh, spending more than two and a half months of calendar time covering Friday <laughs> the 13th. Like, yeah. If you're not interested, that could drag on. Uh, and for us too. So we are gonna, yeah, we're gonna tackle these head on at a at a, a steady clip of two a week. So look and for Mondays and Thursdays. 
Sorry, I interrupted you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and man, what a what a movie this is! This movie is fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think I've had people uh, suggest that it might be useful for us to like. I try to keep like spoilers away from the beginning of the podcast because we rate these at the end. But honestly, like if you're someone who's considering whether or not you should watch this, a hundred percent. Like I think. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be one of my favorites in this whole series. I know that already. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. I, I think so too for my, for myself, you know, I mean, I have, I've seen a, most of these, if not all, um, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, they've all kind of blurred together because I watched them all like one after another, but, right. uh, I didn't remember how much, how fun this one is. Yeah. Uh, and, and I want to give a shout out to another podcast. Um, there's, uh, a podcast that's hosted by Paul Rust and Matt Gourley uh, called In Voorhees We Trust with Gourley and Rust, <laughs> um, which I I will I put off listening to uh, the their podcast until we've recorded ours because I don't want to like, yeah. have any sort of like accidental repeating of bits or, or pointing out mm-hmm. the same shit. Yeah. Um, but they brought up a great point that in the first two Friday the 13th movies, all of the characters are really nice to each other. Yeah. That is Isn't interesting. that interesting? And I think that makes these movies so much breezier than they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, because this, like, part two, especially more than part one, is just a lot of fun. And even though it's yeah. a horror movie and people are getting killed, it's, like, brightly lit. The characters mm-hmm. are nice to each other. And it's, like, <laughs> it doesn't... It's it's sure. kind of interesting. Like I I have a note that says one of the reasons this is what it says verbatim for me one of the reasons this works better than the first one is because of more fun camp stuff. Yes, um, exactly. Like There's this movie, more fun camp stuff. Yeah, this movie uh, definitely benefits from being able to juxtaposition slasher movie horror movie stuff with like half of it's kind of just like a fun camp movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that really uh, serves it well. And I do think I, I it works much better in that regard than the first one, in my opinion. Yeah. In the first one, it, it feels like they were trying to do something serious. Yeah. Um, and in this one, it's not that they're not being serious. It's not a comedy. But it, it's just... It, you said just, breezy, I think. I think that's a great way to describe it. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you. Um, yeah, of course. Um, you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, man. Especially if you listen to our last episode with our shameful showing at Scored to Death. I am just <laughs> really I mean, walking around with my tail between my legs. Yeah, I did outscore you by 150%. So, or I guess 50, <laughs> 50%. You know. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I mean, Ryan is punishing in that regard. So I um, wanted to point out, and I didn't think about it until I was editing mm-hmm. it all together, that Ryan uh, has an encyclopedic knowledge for movie quotes and for scores. Uh-huh. So what's what doesn't what seems obvious to him <laughs> is not the same for an average human yeah. being. Yeah, he, he'll like he's the kind of guy who'll come up and just say a quote from a movie, and like. That's actually quotes from movies. I'm very bad at remembering, mm-hmm. and so it's just like we're always ships in the night. When it, <laughs> you're like, uh. do a bit from a movie, and be like, I don't, I don't know. Sorry, man. Man. 
I'm pretty good with quotes. I actually have a board game. It's in this room with me right now. It's called Screenplay. Um, and I play it via Zoom with a very good friend of mine from home who's also a listener to this podcast. Um, and it is a game of movie quotes. So okay. it's like the whole game is about guessing you know, the movie and the actor and the character that says a specific quote. Um, I hate to put you on the spot, but do you yeah. want to test my theory that I'm bad at this? <laughs> sure, let's do it. Um, hold on. It was within arm's reach. Here we go. Oh, it's nice. called Screenplay, the game of movie quotes. I'm showing the box cover to Eric. Okay. Looks like an um, old box. It is. This game is from, I think it was released in the mid-90s. Okay. Which is an- another reason why we really enjoy playing it, because, you know, it's really right in the middle of our our knowledge of video, or sorry, movie trivia. Yeah, yeah. When we were, like, uh, obsessively watching movies all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here we go. Oh, look at this. The first one I pulled... Is, is a horror one. So there is no okay. technical horror category, but there's a potpourri category, and uh-huh. that one sometimes has horror movies. Um, and I do find that the horror movies are usually pretty easy, but I'll give you some action ones, too. Okay. All right, here we go. Completely unplanned game to start the podcast. <laughs> uh, okay. Fingernails? That's amazing you saying that. That made me remember the dream I had last night. I dreamed about a guy in a dirty red and green sweater. Oh, okay. Nightmare so here's... <laughs> right. So that's one point. But here's how the scoring of this game goes. For every t- turn, you could yeah. get potentially three points. And if you... So there is the title of the film, mm-hmm. the name of the character, and the actor that plays said character. Okay. And the way the scoring of the game goes is if you get any one of those wrong, you're done. So there's a strategy to going in order of confidence. Oh, okay. You know, so right now you have one of three possible points. Okay. So I'm going to guess the character, um, although I might be wrong, Nancy. Did Nancy say this? That is correct. Okay, great. And I don't remember who played Nancy. See right there. there. Yeah, leaving three points on the board is Heather Langenkamp. Okay. Okay. Okay, let's see. Let's do, Let's do one more. Okay, what do you want to do? Action adventure? Yeah. Okay, you like the old action adventure. Sure do. Uh, 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 uh. Okay, here's a good one. Of my friend, I can only say this. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Oh, wow. Oh, shit. Of my friend, of all the souls, I've... fuck. <laughs> it... Is it Indiana Jones? It's not Indiana Jones. It's not. I'll tell you that I picked this one because I know that you know it. Shit. Or at least, <laughs> or at least that you've seen this. I've movie seen the movie uh, in the not it's too very fam- distant past. It's very familiar. Um, all the souls of my friend. So I can hear it. Do you want a hint? Yeah, yeah, give me a hint. So there's a there's a clue in the quote itself, which is uh, he, he's the, the person speaking is specifically mentions his soul being human because he may not be. Oh, oh, Terminator Two. No. Fuck. 
Robocop? part human. He died. Robocop. He died at the end of this movie, famously. Uh, part human? Died at the... Fa- I don't know. You just give it to me. It is... William Shatner as Admiral James T. Kirk in oh. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. I, I I don't know where you got the impression that I've seen that recently. Well, you've seen it, right? No, I never have. You've never seen The Wrath of Khan? No, I've never watched a Star Wars. Sorry, a Star Trek movie. <laughs> you noob. That's crazy. Yeah. I, w- I could have I- sworn that, that you and I talked about the Action Boys episode uh, no. about Wrath of Khan. Okay. Nope. I've never seen a single Star Trek movie. Well, that's uh, the best and one. And that's because... It, yeah. I, um, that's because I was never a Star Trek guy. Uh, I like The Next Generation. I've watched, I've watched some of that uh, as an adult. And I would always watch... It would always be the thing that came on either before mm-hmm. or after Siskel and Ebert, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I would fall asleep to it, <laughs> like in the middle of the afternoon on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, Next Generation in particular, I think, is very soothing. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, But, yeah, I mean, Star Trek, the show, isn't very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the movies are very campy at times, but, like, the good ones are good, and that one, I think, is the best one. That's also, like, a very uh, universal... It's the Empire Strikes Back of that series where everyone's like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the good one. But I also do well, adhere to, you know, there's a classic, the even the even numbered are the good ones mm-hmm. in that series. And I think that that holds true for the most part. And I think we uh, off air, mm-hmm. this might be why you also think that because I use that as an example. I think the Final Destination movies are also <laughs> like that. <laughs> the even ones are good. I think I believe yeah. it's the even ones that I like. Yeah. Uh, well, here we go. <laughs> yeah, fun, we fun diversion. Um, 15 minutes they, into the podcast, and we barely talked about Friday the 13th Part 2. <laughs> yeah, where did we get sidetracked? There was a reason we ended up there. Uh, I was talking about um, movie quotes. Yeah, because we were talking about score to death. Yeah, yeah, okay. So anyways, oh, because I was making fun of you for sucking, uh, mm-hmm. but you don't actually uh, Well, suck. you know. It's, it, I was being playful. I don't think I you're don't. actually stupid. <laughs> there was, I was texting Mike that uh, there was one that ended up being... Um, what was the circusy music from? It was from... Uh, Christ, it was hard. Uh, Lost Boys. Lost Boys, the carousel yeah. theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, Mike guessed Killer Clowns and was wrong. And I guessed mm-hmm. It. And then Mike's reaction on the podcast was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and then he guessed Funhouse, which was also wrong. <laughs> well, right, but I'm, my point, my 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 defense is that my guesses were wrong, but they were better guesses. Uh, I don't know. There's circus circusy shit and it. right, but but I mean, I again, like, I'm trying to anticipate like the level of difficulty that Ryan is throwing at us, mm. and also like, I well, don't us know, us I, was in there. Yeah, but it was earlier. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Anyways. It's, anyway, the point, no it's neither to... here nor there. You know? <laughs> so I'm very the humble and very forgiving, I think, is the moral of the story. So. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Friday the 13th Part 2. Uh, it came out just a year after the original, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so uh, they must have gone... They, they went hot and heavy with the production of this thing. Production for this movie 
began four months after the release of the first one. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So four months, and then they, they pro- oh, wow. So they turn this thing around really quick. And they basically Absolutely. kind of bang one bang one out a year now for for a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, so there are what I think Jason goes to hell in my memory is the first '90s one, but maybe New Blood. Um, mm-hmm. So we're talking about eight or seven we're talking about seven movies i think released in the 80s uh, yeah i got them right here uh if you want to okay. hear it yeah so, so yeah, Friday, give me the, the dates uh the first one is 1980 number yeah. two is 1981 three 1982 final chapter 1984 so they skipped a year there uh 85 is a new beginning uh six is 86 and then seven, I'm not seeing it on. Oh, seven is 88. It's so another, another, uh, uh, skipped a year. And mm-hmm. I don't see Jason takes Manhattan, but yeah. So pretty much banging them out almost once a year for the, for yeah. all of the eighties. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing clip and it's funny because I think this is exactly the kind of thing that we'd normally look at and say, Oh, this is a recipe for disaster. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like money hungry producers racing as fast as they can to make more movies. But you know what? Sometimes things work out. Yeah. Sometimes capitalism is good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, and the funny, I mean, to me, the funniest thing about this is okay. So we, we said this right up at the top. Like, I, full stop, I think this is a better movie than the first one. I think so too. Um, and we have changing writer, changing director, and this is largely because the originals, Sean Cunningham and um, Miller, didn't want to come back. They didn't want to do the second one. They both had the opportunity to work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Cunningham historically had always said he wasn't really that proud of the first one and like wasn't mm-hmm. that interested in continuing to work in this franchise. And I know that uh, the writer, uh, in particular, was uh, Victor Miller, was was pretty unhappy with the ideas required to justify a sequel, which maybe is a good place yeah. for us to start talking about this. Sure, um, and also Savini, I know, was was like very much against. Yeah, Savini, exact same boat. He was like, "This doesn't make any sense. How are you going to make a sequel? Why would you make a sequel?" Another quick diversion, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's something you're going to bring up, but he, Savini did not do part two, but he right. instead did The Burning, which is basically, it's it's a Friday the 13th mm-hmm. ripoff. Uh, I watched The Burning um, because I didn't want to rush ahead and, and watch three before we yeah. recorded this podcast. Um, that movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I'm happy. I'm happy. I didn't like it because it's it is like created by Harvey Weinstein mm-hmm. and like written by Bob Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, it fails in all the ways that makes Friday the Thirteenth Part Two good. Okay. Like it's it's everybody's a dick to each other. There's nobody likable. Jason mm-hmm. Alexander shows his brown eye. <laughs> oh, <Jesus>. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> it's actually you see the crack, clenching. He's yeah. he's clenching pretty hard. He he doesn't want any 
overflow to happen <laughs> in the for, scene. So anybody who missed that, Eric, what Eric is saying is that you see Jason Alexander's bare bottom in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the movie's like shot really dark. It's mm-hmm. it's like pervy in ways that really are unsettling now. Yeah, knowing what Harvey Weinstein did, and there, mm-hmm. he was actually accused of of harassing a woman on the set of that movie. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of shit, a lot of baggage comes along with that movie anyways. And the movie also sucks. The, the gore is pretty good, you know, cause it's Tom Savini. But other mm-hmm. than that, like I fast forwarded through the ending because I was so bored. Wow. Well, that's uh, yeah. Damn. I, I will not be making time to watch that one. Yeah. Don't, don't bother. Um, but yeah, back to the story we were on. So yeah, all these people, Savini, Victor Miller, Sean Cunningham, all bow out of working on the sequel, which is basically being pushed forward by Paramount Pictures, which had the rights to the franchise. Um, and so one of the producers who really got this thing moving uh, is a guy named Frank Mancuso Sr., who I think is important to bring up um, for reasons that we will get to later, some interesting stuff. Uh, that you can learn about in the documentary we talked about last week, uh, which is called Crystal Crystal Lake Memories, which is on uh, mm-hmm. Shutter. But yeah, I do want to like we'll be I'll be pulling a lot of information from that documentary over the course of this series. So I want to give a shout out to Daniel Ferens, who's the director and writer of that doc. Um, yeah, I've been watching it. Um, kind of along with the movies, I'll watch mm-hmm. the movie and then watch that segment of the doc. It's cool. It's, it's yeah. There's a lot of good information, and and I think you know what's really important for for kind of retrospectives like that is they got almost everybody you'd want to hear from who's mm-hmm. alive to you know sit down and talk about the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, yeah. So Frank Mancuso Senior and the original producers. So rem- I don't know if we talked about this, but there was a trio of guys who own a a theater it's called Esquire Theaters in New York, and they helped bankroll the first one. Um, one of them was the one who basically insisted that they should have Jason Voorhees uh, take over as the villain in this movie, and obviously for you know. I think everybody knows for the rest of the series mm-hmm. um, because that was such a big question is it's like, how would you even logically continue this series? Cause you know, the killer, Mrs. Voorhees very famously has her head chopped off at the yeah. end of the first one. And I think it also prompts a lot of logical questions about how this makes any sense. Cause the only time we see Jason is as part of a dream in the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that? Do you do you have a, a feelings or or anything you want to add to that conversation about how we made this switch to Jason being the villain? Like logically, how it happens, like in the story of the movies. Well, I don't know. I just, how do you feel about it? Um, I mean, I, I it, that's a hard question to answer because mm-hmm. they're like throughout this whole series and through you know. Halloween, mm-hmm. they just have a whole lot of bullshit to justify <laughs> any yeah. of these people returning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, oh, sorry. And, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense because 
of what happens at the end of the first movie. It's like, mm. well, Jason's down there, I guess. But he's still sure. a boy. It doesn't yeah. make any sense how he ended up ha- where he is now, just living in the woods. Right. Um, with <laughs> so close to uh, civilization. and mm-hmm. like It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but it's I like one it- of those things just like, well, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, you just kind of have to suspend your disbelief because you're. I think you're right. It it makes no sense at all. Um, you know, because you can get into this whole argument about wait. So if he was alive, then why, you know, is his mother still trying to avenge his death? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. If he so lives in the woods, did, you know, his mom yeah. didn't. His mom thought he was dead. But he wasn't. Right. He was living in the woods. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't he tell her, like, hey, mom, I'm alive? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, but I think as soon as you just kind of release yourself from that, mm-hmm. it it's definitely, uh, I don't know, it, you know, they made one of the most iconic horror villains of all time. So it was obviously, yeah. I think, the right choice, despite any logical inconsistencies. And uh, he still doesn't even have his iconic hockey mask in this one. That's, he doesn't yeah, get that into the next movie. Yeah, in this one, he wears a sack over his head. Um, yeah. Which was, uh, for anybody who was wondering, is it was an idea that was lifted from the movie called uh, The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Yeah. It's a movie from the 80s that used a very similar look for its killer. And um, yeah, not, not an accident. <laughs> from the 70s, I believe. Yeah, that's what I said. You said eighties. No, I said the seventies. Alright, we'll play it back. Yeah, we will we will play it back. Um It's you definitely said the eighties. <laughs> I'm almost a hundred percent positive I said the seventies, but I want to Do you want to stop down and listen to it? No, I wanna I wanna find out later. You can text about okay. it. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, here's the thing. I'm concerned because if I did, in fact, say the 80s, then I'm going crazy. Because in my head, like, I was like, the 70s, you know? Uh-huh. So if something else came out of my mouth, then it's because <laughs> I, I'm losing I the mean, ability listen, to speak. Our, our, our connection is a little hitchy, so maybe uh-huh. something happened there, but uh, I could. Hey, eagle-eyed, eagle-eared listeners, write in. <laughs> yeah, you guys are gonna hear the uh, the conclusion of this cliffhanger on the next episode. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, anyways, so a little bit more about how this movie got made comes together really fast. Obviously, uh, Sean Cunningham opts not to come back to direct. So uh, the opportunity is extended to one of the producers, the associate producer on the original film, uh, who is a guy named Steve Miner, who will also uh, direct the next film in the series. Um, and uh, as far as returning uh, talent, a lot of the crew is the same crew, which I think is great. Uh, always in favor of, you know, bringing people back together. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of Cunningham's crew working for Minor this time. Um, yeah, new special effects guy was supposed to be Stan Winston replacing yeah. Tom Savini. But then he had a scheduling conflict and he had to drop out. Uh, and they ended up with a relatively uh, untested uh, special effects, uh, makeup effects guy named Carl Fullerton, who... Mm-hmm. I think does an okay job, but I think, 
I think there's a long conversation to be had about the gore effects a little bit later. I'm glad um, you're bringing that up. Yeah. Or we'll, if you we'll want talk to talk about, about it now, we can talk about it now. But either way, um, yeah, the, the, there's definitely uh, it's not as gory as the first movie, which is yeah, an interesting choice. <laughs> I'll tell you this: it's not a choice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more when we get to some of those specific deaths. But uh, sure. But yeah, there are other forces at work here. Um, okay. And then uh, also we have our our heroine from the first film, uh, Adrian King, uh, comes back briefly. And anybody who's wondering about that, um, sounds like it was a salary debate more than anything. Um, yeah, and I, in in that documentary, uh, she mm-hmm. tells a pretty horrific story of like after the first movie, yeah, um, kind of dropping out of the limelight a little bit because she had a stalker, yeah, who because actually, of the first film, yeah. because of the first film, and it was this is the worst part, uh, already already bad, but she, it was somebody who ended up befriending her, yeah, like was stalking her, and then pretended like I guess essentially pretended to be somebody else and befriended her got yeah. close to her and like even broke into her apartment and stuff like it's totally insane yeah um yeah so i don't think that she was particularly amped about the idea uh of continuing uh in that role in the series but she does uh come back for a, you know essentially an extended cameo in the introduction yeah. Um, yeah, what else should we talk about? It was shot in Connecticut this time as opposed to New Jersey. Um, it's another real live summer camp uh, being mm-hmm. used off season. Um, yeah, so I think um, cast this time around, all unknowns for the most part. Um, yeah, You're, there's no Kevin Bacon's hiding in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, although, you know, it's funny. I think that this is, by and large, a pretty solid cast. For uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, like the first movie, didn't they? I think they got a lot of these people from, like, um, the the theater world of New York. Yeah. So they're yeah, all, I mean, like, pretty capable. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and we've got some interesting uh, characters and uh, a lot of hotties. Just going to go out on, on, on a limb and say that right now. Across yeah. the board. Um, yeah, definitely a lot of hotties. Um, <laughs> there, yeah, I mean, I mean it's, I may as well just bring this up now. One of the women in the movie. It's <laughs> just going right in. <laughs> uh, I'll save it. You know, I'll save it for the scene. When no, we no, to, I, just, when we I, I, I know. No, all I was gonna say is like maybe take a second to lightheartedly acknowledge that there are attractive men and women throughout the cast, and yeah, uh, they all do a really good job. And then Eric's gonna tell you a dark and unpleasant story now. That's <laughs> pretty classic, Eric. Um, yeah, one one of the actresses who plays Sa- Sandra Marta Kober, um, she lied about her age. Like they actually mm-hmm. shot a nude scene. Mm-hmm. And lied about her age. She was underaged, and they found out and uh, had to cut that scene, obviously, because she was yeah. not eighteen years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and yeah, it's like it makes... when you watch when you watch the movie, the whole time, as soon as she's on screen, you're like, ah, she's gonna get naked at some point, and then she never does, and it's just like, well, right. that's weird. Even she even has a sex scene. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. 
Uh, and it doesn't make that much sense. But then reading that, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's a Tracy Lord she's, situation. Yeah, she's definitely positioned as someone who's sort of like, uh, yeah, it seems like that that's going to be the role she plays. And yeah, it turns out it was. Uh, but for obvious reasons, it did not work out that way. Um, yeah. But yeah, we've also got, I mean some real classic hunks in this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like special shout out to, uh, Tom McBride is Mark, the, uh, just absolute stud in a wheelchair. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, which is... <laughs> go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you oh, go ahead. I would say also in Scott, the guy who plays Scott, Russell Todd, mm-hmm. total, like he, Scott kind of has the Ned role in this movie, which is like, sexually harassing women i feel but, like i feel like ned got split into two characters here because i think ted yes, is also yes. very much a ned yeah um, exactly in scott is just kind of ned's pervy ten- tendencies yeah is this like the ego and the id is that what's going on here <laughs> but uh the kind of the problem with the casting of scott in that role mm-hmm. is that he's a fucking smoke show <laughs> like you know, he looks like he could get any woman he wanted. So why is yeah. he like? Why is he sexually harass? I mean, that obviously attractive men sexually harass women all the time. But yeah. like, uh, it would have it would have made more sense if he was Ted. In that yeah, he role. he pursues uh, Terry during his time in the film, and I know what you mean. It's like the way he's like stealing her clothes and being like a prankster and shit. It's like, dude, just like. Just ask act her like out. a yeah, just like act like a grown up. This like yeah. you're fucking hot as hell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're like thirty too. <laughs> yeah, also, <laughs> also true. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, yeah, I think uh, we can get into more of the details on the cast uh, once we get into it. But uh, do you want to say anything else about this before we start recapping? No, let's uh, let's take a quick break. We'll hear from our sponsors, and then uh, we'll get to recapping this movie. All right. Board. Okay. You recording? Yeah, I'm recording. Okay. Ooh, that's a big one. Woo! Okay. Yeah, some fireworks here. Happy fourth. Uh so we start on a dark and stormy night. We see some little kid walking through the gutter. Uh their mother calls to them. This is Betsy, apparently. Um she crosses the street and immediately Jason steps out behind her wearing his jeans and boots mm. we hear that iconic kick, 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 ma, ma, ma. Um, meanwhile alice from part one is having a nightmare where she's remembering all of the confrontation between her and mrs Voorhees. yeah all of the confrontation all of the confrontation <laughs> uh my wife was like how long after the first movie did this one come out and i was like the next year <laughs> it's like it's no joke. Yeah. It goes on for about seven minutes. Yeah, of recapping the first movie with yeah. clips from the first movie. Yeah, yeah. it's it's str- a strange choice. Um, you feel bad for uh, the actress who plays Alice because she's just like, she spends most of this time just writhing around on a bed. <laughs> be like, no, no. Yeah. Um. So she flashes back to uh, Mrs. Voorhees. Uh, 
And then I said, yeah, I wrote, uh, flashes back to the confrontation with Mrs. Voorhees. A lot of it. This is nice because I don't have to write anything down. <laughs> I, was just, I got, a, got I, a nice little break. Yeah, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, cool, cool. We can definitely save some time because this is seven minutes of the movie we don't have to talk about for more than 30 yeah. seconds, which we've already <laughs> but here tripled we are. that. Yeah. <laughs> so she wakes up. She gets a phone call from her mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just checking up on her. She's been a recluse trying to put her life back together since the events from the first movie she hangs up we see some of her sick ass art that uh steve pointed out how talented she was at making in the first movie yeah that's right i do like that they keep that runner going um it's a lot of care she takes a yeah it does it's a lot of story craft yeah uh she takes a shower gets another phone call but nobody's on the other end of that Ooh, mysterious. The music ramps up. She moves through the house. There's a bang, and her windows open. She grabs an ice pick for protection. Who has ice picks? It was uh, the seventies. It was they were big in the seventies and right. the eighties. This is the eighties. Oh my god! By the way, sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, we should we should address that. <laughs> we we went back during the break and listened, and I did say the eighties, which you guys probably know, uh, and I am shaken. I'm shook. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually legitimately worried. <laughs> I think no, I, might, I think it's fine. I might be losing it. Uh, but yeah, the town that dreaded sundown came out in the '70s. This movie is from the '80s. Ice picks mm-hmm. huge in the '70s and the '80s, in my opinion. Uh, she grabs the ice pick. Her cat jumps through the window. I have a classic note. cat jump scare. Yeah, I have a note here. So the cat jump scare is it cliche at this point? Or is this like our cat jump scare is still fresh right now in 1981? I was wondering the same thing. I don't know because you see a whole hell of a lot of cat yeah. jump scares in in slasher movies specifically. I feel like it's number one, right? Like the fake out jump scare, the number one culprit is a cat. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, listeners, um, write into us at Killstreak pod at gmail.com if you have any earlier examples of cat jump scares in horror movies yeah yeah because they know. are a thing they're a trope in these movies um she puts water on for tea and this time i noted she used the fright the front right burner she didn't use the back left didn't use the back left okay uh she opens a fridge and holy shit mrs Vory's head's in there <laughs> jason grabs her from behind shoves the ice pick into her temple the body count is up to one. Rest in peace, Alice. Yeah. If this you did not deserve to go out this way. Yeah. Uh, um, we get the title. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna throw in there that this is just a formality. Uh, but in case you know you didn't watch this movie yet, um, I think it's worth mentioning that for like the initial viewing audience. Uh, we're, we're, Eric's referring to the killer as Jason, but it's like ostensibly supposed to be a mystery, I guess, until oh, yeah, you're close right. to the end of the movie. Uh, it's obviously not a mystery probably to any of us, uh, and it certainly isn't now. But I, I figured it was just worth mentioning that I guess if you went to go see this movie for the first time, you're kind of potentially in the dark about who the killer is, although I feel like it's heavily suggested. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Uh, I never really even thought about that. Mm. Like, do did the audience think that, like, oh, this was, you know, Mr. Voorhees now. It's, mm-hmm. it's like getting revenge on his wife that was murdered. You know, like, right. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I would love to hear from somebody who who had watched it for the first time in the eighties. Um, and so the titles, we get the titles this time instead of bursting through glass, they explode. Yeah, which I thought was a good, nice heightening. It's also like I you you forget about this back in the days before uh, you know computer generated graphics. It like really blows up. <laughs> Right, yeah, like, they like yeah. blew up some titles that said Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. <laughs> I think I uh, don't know. Maybe my memory. No, is... I would assume. I would assume so. Yeah, it's. I mean, honestly, I feel like it's it's kind of hilarious. I laughed out loud when it happened. <laughs> uh, so we cut to a big ass truck. A guy and a girl. We get Jeff and Sandra. Mm-hmm. They stop at a gas station. Uh, my boy Ralph is there from the first. Ralph movie. is back, baby. Ralph, old crazy old Ralph. Um, they call Ted, their friend Ted, to get directions to the camp where they're trying to go. Uh-huh. Uh, Ralph slinks up on him. He's, I told the others they didn't believe me. You're all doomed. <laughs> and he bikes off again. <laughs> I fucking love Ralph. I just like I always laugh when he bikes away. Yeah. You know, it's just like <laughs> it's second. This character's great, and you know. Well, anyways, we'll give uh, give us ten minutes. Continue. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, to refer back to that podcast I was talking about with Paul Rust, uh, they point out that at some point in the first movie, it's mentioned that Ralph has a wife. <laughs> oh, that's right. His wife is wondering where he is. <laughs> yeah, it's like his wife, he gets drunk and goes up to the camp or something like that. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I would love to see a spinoff of just what is their home life. Yeah. <laughs> Pot roast again, you're all doomed. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Uh, their, their, their truck gets towed. Yeah, I want to say... the tow truck is there super fast. It is. Well, and, and so this unfolds during their call and the Ralph interaction. And I actually yes. really enjoyed how it was done. I think it's shot really well. It tells a fun visual story of it's just like you literally watch this tow truck driver pull up super fast and go through the entire process of hitching yeah. up their truck and towing it away in the background <laughs> of the shot. I think it's really funny. Um, and so they chase after it, uh, but it's a joke. It just pulls around the corner and we meet Ted. He's yeah. a skinny redhead guy. I could not understand a fucking word this guy said the entire movie. Yeah, so Ted, uh, played by, um, I want to say his name is Stu Charnow, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Stu Charnow. Who immediately looked familiar to me, so I had to jump onto his IMDb and figure out. And he's actually done a handful of things. He's in Christine, but Mm -hmm. the thing that I really recognized him from and was the, the, oh yeah, the eureka moment was... He plays the killer in, spoiler alert, my absolute favorite episode of The X-Files ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is uh, Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose, starring Peter Boyle. Um, So good. Yeah, so he is, and he's very creepy. Um, Yeah, so shout out. That's a Darren Morgan episode. For anybody who's not like a big X-Files fan, he was a particularly out there writer who I think... Mm-hmm. had his hand in a handful of the best episodes ever. Um, yeah, Clive Clive Bruckman. Bruckman? Bruckman? Yeah. Bruckman? Bruckman. Yeah. 
that that is the best episode in my opinion yeah. of the X Files. Uh, but he also uh, he, what was the other one that he wrote? Not the it's he, the Freak Show. Yeah, one? Yeah, he did the Freak Show one, which is called Fuck. What is it? Um, I'm gonna look it up because. But I think it's the other one that's that's my other favorite episode. That's the one with the um, that's the sort of uh, what's it's the Rashomon style. Um, yeah. Alien yes, yes, abduction yes. one, which is really yeah, yeah, a lot of very funny episodes from Darren Morgan. The two uh, we're talking about um, that he wrote one is called Humbug. That is the Circus Freaks episode, which is really good. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other one is Jose Chung's from Outer Space. That's the one. Yeah, yes. and he also is responsible for one more episode that I really like, which is called The War of the Coprophages, which is the cockroach one. Um, uh huh. Yeah. So he's, and then in, in the reboot, he did a lizard man one with uh, that, R- Reese Darby. Yeah, that one's also really fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Darren Morgan is great. Uh, the X Files are great. We love them both. And Stu Charno uh, does a great job in Clyde Barkham's Final Repose. But here he plays Ted, who I think is really more of the Ned of this movie. But I see what you're saying about uh, was it Scott? Scott Scott yeah. being kind of like the broy, he's like the more toxic version of, <laughs> of of Ned of Ned. Yeah, he's the Chad to Ned's incel. Yeah, I think that's right. And then I don't think Ted really fits into a box that easily. You know, no, he doesn't. And interesting, we'll get to it. But what happens with Ted is very interesting. Absolutely. Uh. So they come to a down tree limb in the road. They're all driving to the camp. It's not Camp Crystal Lake this time. We, mm-hmm. we know this because when they stop to clear the tree limb, Sandra wanders off and finds an old Camp Crystal Lake sign in the woods. Um, and then uh, Jeff or Ted, I can't remember which one, says, oh, that's Camp Blood. It's on the same lake we're going to be in. Mm-hmm. So different camp, same lake. Um but somebody, of course, is watching them through the woods. And yeah. We always. see Jason's hand move a tree branch. Uh, at the camp, we meet Paul, the owner. He's gathering all the counselors together before the students arrive, giving them the rundown. Uh, very quickly, we meet Mark. He's the guy in the wheelchair, mm. uh, the smoke show in the wheelchair. <laughs> um, and then, speaking of smoke shows, we meet Terry who has that Mickey Mouse top and short shorts. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> yes, yeah, sweet Jesus. Uh, then we meet Todd, who shoots her... I'm sorry, Scott, who shoots her in the ass with a slingshot. Right, like again. Dennis the Menace. Yeah, and this is like... This is a fucking, like, just... Uh, what's the word you use for... He is... Uh, it's uh, He's a... Chad? Uh, no, no, um... It's an adjective you'd use for a really hunky guy. Uh, smoldering. Yeah. yeah, smoldering. This is just a fucking smoldering hunk who's like yeah. in his late 20s, could just get it. Perfect hair. From any direction, but he's firing he looks- a slingshot? <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird. It would make sense if he was like a teenage character yeah. hitting on the counselor. Like if he was a student hitting on a counselor that would make way more sense. Yeah, it's it's um, mind-boggling. <laughs> there's uh, a lot of people there. I'm not sure that we meet everybody. Like all of the people who are are there at the camp mm-hmm. 
Are they all named characters that I we get to meet? I think the majority of them are, but like just to recap for uh, for anybody who didn't watch, like I think it's pretty easy to track because they kind of couple off the main characters for the most part. So with yeah. the exception of Ted, you have Scott and Terry, who we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have Mark, the wheelchair hunk, and then yeah. the, the girl who's interested in him, who's Vicky, right? She does yeah. get introduced in this scene. Um, and then we have Paul, who we met, who runs the whole thing, and then we're about to meet his sort of Ginny. female counterpart, who's the yeah. lead in the movie. Yeah, Ginny. Uh, an interesting thing about Vicky and Mark is it, we learned in the uh, Camp Crystal Lake or mm-hmm. Crystal Lake Memories, she really had a crush on him and was hitting on him, mm-hmm. and basically he was like. I'm gay. Don't <laughs> yeah. worry. Like, don't stop it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really like you are wasting your time. I'm very sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah. He is. Um, yeah. He is a, just a super hot gay guy. Um, he is, he was a model. He was a Winston cigarette billboard model. At oh, wow. In the eighties. Uh, yeah. And sadly he is, he is somebody who passed away from complications from AIDS. Uh, uh, in the 90s. Um, so, yeah, the 80s was uh, a brutal time for uh, It was, yeah. For that. Um, I think they have really good chemistry, too, the two of them. And I think part they of that do. is because she actually does have a crush on him. So it's like it's yeah. very believable when she's flirting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we see Ralph biking on the road, <laughs> getting his miles in. Uh, he gets passed by a shitty VW Bug convertible, uh-huh. which is Ginny's car. Yeah, she she pulls up. She's late. She's Scott's assistant. He kind of chews her out in the Paul. office for Paul's being late. Assistant. I'm sorry, Paul. Yeah, yeah, I wrote Scott for some reason. That's okay. Um, she says that her car's sick, which I thought was a funny way to <laughs> say that her <laughs> yeah her car wasn't working. Um, but these then two, they kiss. So yeah, yeah. I think these two establish kind of like a fun sort of. It's like a very adult kind of relationship. Like they're they're clearly fuck buddies, but um, yes, you know they work together, and it's like I think sort of to your point earlier about like why all this stuff works. It's not only breezy, but it's also like it just like it all feels a little bit more natural than you would expect yeah. from a movie like this. I don't know. Well, because in a lot of movies like this, and this is something you know, not to always bring up shit that I've made mm-hmm. uh, that we always like made fun of in our movies. It's that like you get five people who go camping together yeah, and they all hate each other. Right. Like they're all come from different walks of life. They're always sniping at each other. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why the fuck are these people hanging out? They're not friends. Yeah. Um, and in the, in these two movies, this movie more than the first movie, it just seems like they all like each other. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that really heightens the stakes too. It's just, it's a very easy, natural thing. Cause, I mean, I think, even like yeah, I've, I did improv a lot for for a few years, mm-hmm. and the uh, your your initial instinct is to make every conversation an argument, right? Because we think that's what's interesting mm-hmm. to always have conflict. But a lot of the times, it's just being friends with each other, and, and, and like having like a conversation where mm-hmm. funny things can come out of. And I think that that's is a quick fix for a lot of horror movie scripts if you just have the characters be nice to each other and yeah. like each other and it makes the stakes so much more when they start dying off mm-hmm. yeah 100 percent. um so uh jenny's piece of shit 
car won't start. Um, he gives he. This is a weird little thing. He goes back and is is addressing the counselors, and he warns them to keep clean during their menstrual cycle to avoid attracting bears. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a strange little like. Okay, that didn't need to be in there. <laughs> I mean, is it bad uh, advice? I, probably not. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, pa- his pants are skin tight. Yeah, baby. Toit. Leaving nothing to the imagination. <laughs> you Wait, could read did you the see his on dick? His coins I didn't see it. No, 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 okay. no. Not really. <laughs> all right. Uh, that night, they're all around the fire, and Paul's telling them uh, that he doesn't want to scare anybody, mm-hmm. but he's going to give it to them straight about Jason. Uh, old timers in town say he's still out there, some sort of demented creature surviving in the wilderness. But he's a full-grown man by now. Yeah. He's living off wild animals and vegetations, and some folks even claim to have seen him. Uh, legend has it that Jason saw his mother beheaded and took his revenge, a revenge that he continues to seek uh, to anyone who enters this wilderness again. And this is the first group to return five years after the initial murders at Camp Crystal Lake, or the last murders. Right. Um, which is funny because this movie came out a year after, but it's five years in the future. <laughs> so this movie, yeah, takes this place is in the future, in the future, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which would be really funny if they're like had flying cars or something. <laughs> well, that's just be patient, Eric. We will eventually go to the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Um, so, uh, 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 oh, so Jason's out there watching, always on the prowl for intruders, ready to kill. And suddenly, Ted pops out in a loincloth and a spear and a mask. Yeah. <laughs> um, Luckily, it's a monster mask, I guess. So yeah, it's yeah. Like, this just dodges being like the same kind of offensive uh, costume play that we had from Ned in the first from one. From Ned, yeah. Uh, uh, so, basically, Paul was just saying that to s- just scare them. Yeah, but uh, it's but a great info dump that really mm-hmm. like this is ninety percent of the work that the movie does to to let everybody know like hey here's here's the direction change from the first one um, yeah in case you're wondering who the villain is or how any of this will make sense like here you go you've got a villain now yep um so inside the cabin they're all goofing off Mark is arm wrestling people. Uh, Scott, who had previously shot Terry in the ass with a slingshot, asks her and her dog to dance. <laughs> um, <laughs> someone's watching them through the windows during all of this. Um, I thought this was funny. She, Paul's playing chess with Ginny, and she beats him and calls him white man. <laughs> <laughs> like, something like something like you lose, white man. <laughs> and she, she she's goes very progressive. Bed. Yeah. Oh. oh, speaking of Ginny, I I had this is dumb because it's so out of order, but I just wanted to repeat it because I chuckled again when I read it. When she first drives up in her bug and she drives past Ralph on the road, I was like, if this was an episode of The Simpsons, uh, like I really wish that Ralph just goes, "You doomed." <laughs> she like drives <laughs> past in her car. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's good. Uh, I just saw my son was watching The Simpsons earlier, mm-hmm. and it was the Radioactive Man yeah. episode, the Radioactive Man movie episode. Of course. And there's a fucking great joke that I don't think I've ever noticed. Uh, they show, they're holding auditions to who will play mm-hmm. Fall Out Boy at, right. at the Springfield Elementary School. And there's a sign out front that says, uh, auditions here, dot, dot, dot. Well, not here, dot, 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 inside. <laughs> inside yeah, it's of here. Great. It's a great <laughs> it's bit. It's so funny. Yeah. Uh, oh, also, <laughs> when Mickey Rooney shows up, and he's like, I was the top box office draw from 1939 to 1940. And Bart's like, wow, span two decades. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, she goes off to bed, Jenny does. Sandra and Jeff are just dancing like total weirdos. Yeah, And she's pressuring him. She's like, Dad, I want to see Camp Blood. So I don't know if we should, but she's like really pulling hard to go try to see uh, Camp Blood. Ginny gets undressed in her cabin. We almost get boobs, but we don't. No, not yet. And Ralph's shadow falls on her door, and he knocks. When she goes to answer it, but it's but uh, he's gone. But then we get a jump scare because Paul jumps out of nowhere, mm-hmm. uh, just like surprising her, and they they get a little kissy with each other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ralph's creeping around the camp and he's watching um, Paul and Ginny make out like a total weirdo. <laughs> but then again, you know, I would too, probably. Yeah. I, I, I shouldn't kink shame Ralph. <laughs> um, uh, she tells Paul that there's something. Okay. Oh, yeah. So I thought this was really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, she tells Paul, like, like she's about to say, like, she's pregnant or something. She's like, Paul, I got something I should tell you. But then they never comes up again. And they just start making out, and they never address it. Well, wow! I didn't, I didn't even clock that. Do you think that she's pregnant? And I watched this movie twice in twenty four hours too. <laughs> I mean, that's the way she presents it is as if it's something big, uh-huh. like either like I gotta leave or yeah, but it just never comes up again, which is so yeah. interesting. Huh? Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, Suddenly outside, Ralph is strangled with piano wire, mm. and we get a fade to white. Remember last episode? Yeah. Yeah. I said, oh, I wish it would fade to white after mm-hmm. everybody dies. It does in this yeah, one. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I was legitimately bummed by this. I was yeah, like, me too. I was like, Ralph could have been really hilarious to just roll out in every movie. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's like, hey, I keep telling him, you're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the body count is now up to two. The next morning, everybody's jogging, except for Mark, of course. Uh, we got a POV. Somebody's watching them through the woods. Um, and they have their eyes set on Ginny. And just then, Terry's dog, Muffin, runs up <laughs> to this person, Jason, uh, and sniffs at him. Jason looks down at Muffin and then it cuts to some hot dogs on a grill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. So that was funny. Yeah, and they made me hungry. Yeah. Uh, going to eat some hot dogs after this. Uh, Jeannie fires up a chainsaw, um, just testing it out. She puts it away in a cabin. Terry's looking for her dog. Um, and then uh, it's swimming time. Everybody yeah. goes out for a swim. Sandra, as they're running to the beach, convinces Jeff to go check out Camp Blood. So they can tell everyone back in the city that they were there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to speak to the swimming scene for a second. 
this is this is part of where I really came to the conclusion that that Ted is more complicated than just a Ned in this movie because he is shredded to high hell. Yeah, he is. Sh- he's shredded uh, in a way like he has like no body fat on, right. on him at all. Yeah, he looks like a what like a fucking mountain climber. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's just like all right, this uh, this movie is really messing with my expectations of these tropes. I thought Ted was just a nerd, but then you could fucking do uh, a load of laundry on his abs. For sure, and everybody likes him too. Yeah, that's uh, the other thing. I know, not to not to beat a dead horse. But like it seemed like nobody really liked Ned, yeah. Or maybe I was just projecting my own feelings. <laughs> um, close, too close in name. Yeah, very close. Ted. Well, Ted for me, solid upgrade. Oh, for sure, yeah. for sure. Um, so Sandra and Jeff are walking through the woods to get to Camp Blood. As they're walking uh, around, Jason steps out from behind a tree behind them. Uh, they get to Camp Crystal Lake, and there's a dead dog there, mm. um, which you know we are uh, to assume is the remains of Muffin. Yeah, um, I certainly I thought, did. Yeah, I thought there's a funny moment where she's like, "Should we tell Terry this?" And they're like, "Nah, <laughs> I'm just gonna let her look for her dog. I don't need that fucking static." <laughs> Um, the sheriff pops out from uh, from behind them and catches them, which we assume is going to be Jason, but it's actually a sheriff. Mm-hmm. He kind of shoos them back. Uh, back at the camp, he tells Paul that he needs to keep his people away from Camp Crystal Lake. Um, and then on his way back driving, he notices Jason crossing the road yeah. and stops to investigate, which is, I don't know, do you think a police officer... Well, Maybe that's a bad thing to bring up now. We just stopped to investigate somebody walking. I mean, under normal circumstances, no. Although I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because he just was told about this carcass. And this is the same area, presumably. Yeah. So I think he's you know kind of on high alert around Camp Crystal Lake right now. That's true. Um, so he stops to investigate. He, he goes through the woods and he finally comes to a makeshift house in the woods. It's Jason's house that he's been living in all these years. Um, he enters. It's a total dump inside. There's a toilet. And Yeah, there's a toilet. Oh, yeah, that toilet's fucking gross. Yeah. Uh, Jason comes up behind him and sinks the back of a claw hammer into yeah. the back of his head. It's, that's gnarly. Mm-hmm. Uh, body count's three. Uh, it's dinner time at the ca- body count. Body count. Uh, dinner at the camp. Uh, some of the people want to go back to town for the last hurrah before the, st- the students or the kids start to come. Right. Uh, um, yeah. Also, just to clarify, this is like, I th- is this, I think they're going to start training the next day. This is like a training. Oh, is that what it is? For camp yeah. counselors, right? Is it even a camp? I think it's like set up to be like they're all going to camp counselor school or something. Oh, like you know, maybe maybe I was getting uh, my wires crossed with the first movie. Yeah, you're probably right. I don't know that they ever mentioned that stu- mm-hmm. that people kids are coming. Uh, so yeah, it is probably just like a t- training facility for the camp. Yeah, the counseling. I don't know. If that's, I think that's what's going on. Uh, you know, I've been wrong a couple times already today, but. <laughs> um, but yeah, either way, like the point being that they're about to get 
like into the nitty gritty of things the next day. So this is your like cut loose night. Uh, Vicky asks Mark if he's staying at the cabin instead of going to town. And Mark has a really depressing answer. (laughs) Yeah, nothing spoils the party more than a drunk in a wheelchair. (laughs) It's dark. Uh, Yeah. Poor Mark. I mean, there's like... This is going to sound insane, and I think this is going to... I'm just going to go out on a limb and sort of expose my ableist perspective. But, like, this movie made me think about a lot of wheelchair stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you played a character in a wheelchair. In Yeah, in your film, I did. Um, and I didn't do... I mean, I did some research on how to operate a wheelchair correctly. Yeah. But I yeah. definitely didn't try to dig into the psyche... Of of a wheelchair bound character, right, right. Um, and I apologize for that, and I also apologize for taking a role away from someone who's actually in a wheelchair. Um, so well, yeah, you, you didn't get paid for that role, so I, that's a good point. Yes, you're right, though. Um, I took an unpaid. So role. half <laughs> half the crew uh, goes off to to party in town. Half stay there, mm-hmm. and uh, Jason's. At at the uh, cabin because we see a shadow yeah. fall uh, on the cabin. Yeah. So who the big ones who stayed behind are are it, it's uh, uh, what's it's the fucking uh, Scott Terry Mark and Vicky are all staying behind. Yeah, and um, Sandra Jeff and, and Jeff. Sandra. Yeah, yeah. But I I mean I do want to call out that like the second half of that exchange between Mark and Vicky. Is like Vicky in no uncertain terms is like, well, I'm gonna do whatever you're doing because she is yes, yes. all about it. Yeah, she is into Mark. Yeah, big time. Um, so Terry goes off to the lake and she's looking for muffin, but then she's like, hey, you know, I'm at the lake, may as well go for a swim. Naked and uh, naked. Oh, I guess it hasn't happened yet, but she is wearing the shortest shirt known to man. Oh. Uh. <laughs> it's- yeah, barely a shirt. Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the, the like, just a lot of this Terry stuff is really. I'm, yeah, I'm feeling like grade A creep because she had some amazing short shorts in her first introduction, and now she's got the cut off sweatshirt equivalent. Um, yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. So she's she's skinny dips. We get full on nudity for the first time in the series. Uh, we saw a little bit of boobs in the first movie, but like this is, mm-hmm. this is everything, baby. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, but for the ages, I really gotta say, yeah. yeah. Uh, back inside, Mark is arm wrestling with Jeff, and Sandra tells him, "Hey, don't wear yourself out, and if he wants to wrestle, come back with her." <laughs> yeah. So Jeff, of course, follows her. Yeah, uh, and it's great. I love again, like in the sort of naturalistic sense. Like, this movie doesn't, like, play around with this at all. Like, he does exactly what a real guy in that situation would do. Is He's just like, uh, cool, I'm out of here. I'm definitely... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, sorry, game over. I am going to take up uh, this offer. <laughs> yep, uh, you won, Mark. Good, yeah. good, good on you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's get out of here. <laughs> uh, so we think that Jason takes Terry's clothes, but it's really it's Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he runs off with her shirt, leaving her like just naked, covering herself. Being like, "Come on, give me my clothes back!" Yeah, um, it's just a really and, gross. Yeah, Ugh. 
Don't like him. It's gross. Yeah. And suddenly, he gets caught in a trap and is hung by his feet from a tree. Yeah. Um, and so she leaves to get something to cut him down. And then she's in her cabin and her, her uh, light blows out when she turns it on. Actually, that doesn't come up later. I, don't, I, shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have erased that note. Pobody's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yep. So Scott's hanging from the tree. Uh, unfortunately for Scott, Jason comes by and slits his throat with a machete. Yeah, backwards, by the way. This is a... Backwards, yeah. Yeah, he it's uses weird. the unsharpened end of the machete, uh, which I think was, you know, I think it's something they did for safety reasons, but it, like, doesn't really work. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, so the body counts up to four. Terry comes back with a knife to cut him down, but then she finds, of course, Scott hanging there dead. Jason comes up behind her, and she screams, mm-hmm. assuming she she's killed by Jason. We don't really see that until later. It's never, like, really... It's not saved for any reason. Like, her body doesn't, yeah. like, fall through a window or anything like that. It gives somebody um, a jump, right? When they discover uh, her. No, it... It's in, isn't she just in the cabin with Jason's mom? Like, she's just laying on the ground. Next yeah, to you may be head. right there. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, unless, uh, you know, Pobody's nerfic, you know? Um, <laughs> back at the roadhouse, a rockin' band is really tearing it up. Yeah. Uh, on stage. I want to give a shout out. Paul and Ted. Uh, lead guitar. Uh, I sent a text to the guitar player from my former band exact same guitar model and color um yeah. so funny you said that because i wrote smoke wagon <laughs> <laughs> that is the band yeah and i believe it's a fender yeah. telecaster if i'm not mistaken um oh yeah but yeah uh great looking guitar great looking band great vibes in the great house this made me so angry about not having gone out to do anything fun in six months. I know. I know. That place burned down apparently like a year later. Ah, shit. Uh, so the Ginny and Paul and Ted are all drunk and they're just like talking. Ginny posits like, what if he was, what if Jason really was real? Uh, let's think beyond the legend. What would it be like today? Says some, something pretty (laughs) problematic here. Uh, what would he be like today? Some sort of out of control psychopath, a frightened retard. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I did. Sorry, have I'm that. laughing about that. It is. It really comes out of the blue, and it's uh, like <laughs> a cold glass of water into the face. Yeah, it is. It is. It's just like whoa. Yeah. Oh, pump the brakes. Um. So, and she's talking about how, like, you know. He'd be a man now. The only person to have known him was his mother. He never mm-hmm. went to school. Uh, and his mother was everything to him. Um, and he he must be out there right now. And then Paul's insisting that, no, he's just he's just a legend. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But Ginny doesn't believe it. Yeah, Ginny, um, you know, foreshadowing, uh, getting into the psychology of Jason Voorhees here. And they're really kind of setting her up as the one character who you know, might have a deeper understanding of our villain. Mm-hmm. Um, back at the camp, Jeff and Sandra are dry-humping on a couch. Uh, <laughs> and they go upstairs to bang, to bang it out. Yeah. Uh, Vicky asks Mark what happened to him. 
what put him in the wheelchair. And it was a motorcycle accident and it paralyzed his legs. It, yes, is it permanent? He's like, yeah, the doctors think so, but I don't. I don't know yeah. about that. Um, oh, I want to... St- <laughs> okay. I missed this in their last conversation. I think there's like a discussion about playing video games or potentially playing games with each other. Uh, this is oh yeah this yeah this is yeah. in the previous scene that the two of them share. I skipped over this note, but I did want to address it. Um, she has a what appears to be, I think, a double entendre at one point where they're t- yeah, where and it doesn't really work. She says this thing about how she only wants his fingers. Is that right? <laughs> does this yeah, ring a bell? Yeah, and then she's like, "Do you want to play?" Yeah, it does. He's like, do you want to play, I'm just going to say, like, football or hockey? Right. And she's like, well, anything with a puck. Yeah, I think and is the joke wait, what? <laughs> is is the joke that he's like, he couldn't really play either of them because he has no legs. And she's like, I only want your fingers. <laughs> ah, wow. I watched this movie twice, and I don't think that I registered don't, I don't remember how exactly it gets delivered, but the punchline from Vicky is, I only want your fingers, and immediately I was like, is that like a, like a fucking, is she talking about his spinal cord injury, and, and like them having sex later? Uh, well, she does uh, ask, she's like, does everything else work? Uh-huh. And he's like, "Oh, I do all right." So, yeah, yeah I, I, maybe I, maybe it's like a. Never mind. <laughs> Let's say like a born on the Fourth of July, uh, situation. Yeah, but, I'll tell you. Hey, speaking of Fourth of July, yeah, I'll tell you that I did. I did some light googling on, um, you know, sexual activity, uh, mm-hmm. in in paraplegics. So yeah, learned some stuff from Cosmo. Did you? Yeah, <laughs> from Cosmo. Yeah. Well, they do. You oh, know, they're usually pretty factually accurate (laughs) yeah yeah i thought i felt like a solid believable source so anyways uh um let's continue (laughs) we cut to jeff playing harmonica on the bed (laughs) (laughs) um and then uh sandra takes her shirt off off camera and then we cut away which is where that sex scene would have gone i'm assuming Mm -hmm. yeah uh downstairs vicky's kissing mark and they're gonna sneak off to a more private cabin and starts mm-hmm. to rain and lightning so she, this is a fucking incredible incredible <laughs> thing she goes to her cabin to get her stuff yeah and she's like she like takes her pants off and she's going through her special underwear she's she gonna get her sexy underwear of, <laughs> it's just a pair of brown panties <laughs> my notes my note here <laughs> says only in 1981 could your special sexy underwear be maroon colored <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah it's just a weird it, uh, it's a strange color for your sexy sexy panties yeah sexy panties. But, you know browns uh, brown tones were much bigger uh at this point in time i think that is a true, that's true. thing you know <laughs> Uh, of course, Jason is watching yeah. all of this, and she starts to put perfume on. Yeah. She, so she like puts it on her, like her chest. She like sprays it like in her shirt. Yeah, she's and the she's old. Like, uh, yeah. It's the old horse shower. Is that what they call it? Yeah, horse yeah. bath. She, she straight up just sprays it into her underwear, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was so good. It's like, yeah, that's gonna be real pleasant later. Not. Yeah. Um. And then she goes to the car, I think, for like a hairbrush or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely uh, something not really necessary. Um, so Mark goes outside to check on her because it started to rain. And sadly, her vagina perfume is all for naught <laughs> because very suddenly, in a way that doesn't make sense with how it's shot, because it shows behind him mm-hmm. and it shows ahead of him. Or like, it shows behind him and it shows like head on. Then all of a sudden, Jason comes out and fucking whacks him in the face with a machete. The dull side of the machete. Yeah. Um, and uh, it goes right through his face. And then we just cut to his wheelchair plummeting down some stairs. Um, body count goes up to six. Yeah, this is this is a big, iconic death. Uh, it's pretty exciting. Um, mostly for the wheelchair stunt, not for the murder itself. Yeah. It's just this fucking wheelchair flying down a rainy set of stairs backwards. It's pretty great. Yeah. It looks dangerous as fuck. I couldn't tell if it was a dummy or a stuntman, but... It's, so it is a real stuntman. They built a rail for it to go on. So it's like... Oh. So the wheelchair is on a controlled track, but there is a real stuntman uh, going down that. And the stuntman uh, is a guy named Steve Daskowicz, who goes by Steve Dash a lot of the time, who is one of the two people who plays Jason throughout oh. the duration of the movie. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's kind of... In- oh, I should have mentioned this before, mm-hmm. that the uh, only time in the series that Jason is ever played by a woman is that opening shot That's where right. you just see the legs. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, in this case, so Steve Daskowitz was already the stuntman for the movie before he was cast in the Jason role. Uh, and they had a guy named Warrington Gillette who tried out for a couple of the different other male roles in the movie and didn't get them, but got along well, I think, with the director. Um, and so they cast him as Jason. Um, but then it turned out, and I think this is maybe, I don't know, it's a miscommunication. Someone should have thought harder about this. But he was not prepared, really, to do his own stunts. He was just an actor. Mm-hmm. So then they end up in this position of, okay, we cast this guy to play Jason Voorhees, but half the time Jason is in the movie, he is performing the functions of a stuntman. Uh, Right. So really what ends up happening is Steve Dash, uh, for like a full half of the movie, is actually playing Jason. Jason has uh, an interesting journey body-wise through these movies. Yeah. Like in the first one, he's essentially a kid. In yep. this one, he's an average-sized adult, mm-hmm. and then he just starts getting fucking yoked as it goes yeah. on to like to the point where he's like almost a professional wrestler. Yeah, like in stature, it's mm-hmm. it's funny. Yeah, Maybe I mean, he's it's, juicing. It's, <laughs> um, yeah, that could be the case. Um. So Scott and Jenny, or sorry, Sandra and Jeff finish up. They're kind of poised post-coital, where Jason enters the cabin, he grabs the spear that Ted was using when he scared everybody, and he drives it through both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think about this effect, Eric? Not very good. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, this is probably a good time to get into this. So, there is a ton more to this death uh, that was initially shot. Um, and what something I alluded to at the top of the podcast is 
this movie really took it on the chin from the MPAA. They had a bitch of a time getting an R rating for this. Um, mm. And there is, I think, minutes upon minutes of footage specifically of deaths in this movie that did not make it into the final cut. Um, it seemed like there was a bit of an agenda, I guess, from the MPAA, especially like following on the success of the first one. And I uh-huh. think I think that it was, from what I can tell, the first film was not one they were expecting to be on so many people's radar. Uh, and they might not have paid so much attention to rating it the first time through. So I think the MPAA kind of felt like they let them get away with too much in the first uh-huh. movie. And so I, their approach to censoring this one was kind of like a, a, a correction, like an overcorrection in the other direction. Um, and just to kind of wrap this up, so a lot of the deaths, the majority of the deaths that you see in this are all cut short from what was actually filmed. And like a lot of the design that was done, there was a really extensive, like, uh, torso prosthesis for this particular death was stabbing through uh-huh. both of them. Uh, and there are some people who saw it who said it looked fucking awesome and really gross uh, and really effective. And the sad part and sort of the sad ending to this story is as far as anyone can tell, um, they didn't keep any of that old footage uh, because at this point in time, there was, you know, special features weren't a thing that existed. Deleted scenes were not really something that anybody had any use for. Yeah, um, unrated cuts yeah. weren't a thing. Yeah, so unfortunately, like, all of this footage, most people think is lost to time and is never going to show up. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it sucks because it's, like, it's it's shit that, like, is on TV now. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Like, Walking Dead is ten times grosser than anything in this movie. Uh, but, you know, yeah, what can you do? It's a different time. Um, that was great, great insight on my part right there. <laughs> it, it was a different time. It was a time when you could say frightened, uh, yeah, you know. Frightened uh, R word. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, body count's now up to eight. Scott and Jenny finish up at the bar. And this is amazing. Yeah. They go, uh, they get, they go to her car, and then cuts back inside. This is Paul and, Ted, and Jenny, right? Sorry, I don't know why I keep yeah. calling him Scott. Yeah, I don't know. Why Paul I mean. and Jenny, yes. Yeah. Uh, it cuts back inside, and Ted asks an old man if there are any after-hours <laughs> places around here. <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, sure are." Yeah, and Ted's like, "Cool." Ted's drunk. Cool. Ted is lit at this point. <laughs> And they got so many empty beer bottles next to them. Okay, so we may as well just say it now because yeah. we never see Ted again. Yeah. And Ted is the only person to have survived in Friday the 13th by partying more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's just going to go off and do blow with some like townies, I guess. <laughs> I love it. I It's so fucking great. Um <laughs> Because I, I I do you know I wish my only regret is that I that you know looking through his IMDb that Ted doesn't show up 
in later films. I would love. Yeah, for, he should. I would love for Ted to come back at some point as just the guy who outpartied Jason Voorhees. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like he he should take on the role of the new Ralph. Yeah, just Ted, just, like just party hammered. animal Ted. <laughs> yeah. Man, I had the best night of my life, but you're doomed if you go there. <laughs> Ooh, we got some real fireworks now over there. Yeah, we are getting some some bangers. Uh, so Vicky comes back to the cabin to make sweet, sweet love with Mark, but she can't find him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she opens a bed the bedroom door and sees Sandra and Jeff under the covers, she, or she thinks she sees them under the covers. And uh, she behaves in a way that no one would and pulls the covers back <laughs> it's like to make sure that they're there. I mean, she's very but, forward, you know, so maybe she's just like, well, I can't find Mark. Uh, this this yeah. would work. <laughs> Any port in a storm. Yeah. But, oh, shit. It's actually Jason with his pillowcase over his head. Uh. He slashes her on the leg. Um, and then she back, backs up into Jeff, who's hanging from a sheet. Then uh, Jason pulls... A butcher knife, and then uh, stabs her. Too bad for Vicky. Yeah, body count goes up to nine. We're losing a lot of my favorite characters. It's pretty. I was legitimately like kind of bummed as all of these characters died. I was like, yeah. yeah, I wanted more. I wanted to hang out with this group at the camp more. You know, I know. And I th- always think that's a great sign in a horror movie is yeah. when you'd rather just hang out with them than watch them die. It would have been great if everybody. Uh, sp- <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to finish that thought. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> if everybody just fucked, is that what you're going to say? Yeah, I mean, we could go for another round, right? You know? <laughs> I don't mean all together. Yeah, you know? You know? It doesn't have to be like, like Sodom uh, and Gomorrah. Just <laughs> just mix it up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Scott and Ginny arrive at the, uh, at the camp. Um, and then she goes upstairs and she screams, finds the blood splattered bed. Uh, then also the light goes out and they're all freaked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, they're like, oh, well, let's go look for everybody. And I wrote, everybody always wants to look for people in these mm-hmm. movies. Like, yeah. why not just leave? Yeah. And I was like, well, we got to find Vicky or whoever. Yeah. Um, and then G- Ginny senses somebody in the room and Jason pops out. He attacks Paul. They tussle. Um, and he must win the fight because he pops up. And she runs and hides in the bathroom. There's some back and forth. Uh, she moves to sneak out of the window, but he's he's already there, and he punches through the window. Uh, then she runs and locks herself into a kitchen, which you don't really see a lot of kitchens with locks these days. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Um, Jason works the knob, and she grabs... Like, she's... <laughs> Sorry, what? that became twelve years old right there. He's he's like Jason, you know trying to turn wait, the knob. Jason grabs the knob. Is that what I said? Mean? Jason works the knob. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> and she grabs a knife, um, and suddenly a pitchfork comes, pun- like punching through the door. She bolts out of the side. Um, dead Ralph is hanging out, hanging out there. Yeah. Not hang. Oh, he's he's literally hanging. He's not just hanging out. <laughs> he's not chilling. Um, yeah, <laughs> dead Ralph is chilling. Uh, she screams, makes to to her car. Of course, her car won't start because it's a piece of shit. Yeah. 
Jason pops up on the driver's side window, then he disappears, and he starts stabbing down through the canvas top with his pitchfork. Yeah, bet Pitchfork's wish- a pretty cool weapon. It is a cool weapon, and I've had Ginny wishes she had a fucking hard top right about now. Yeah. <laughs> um, she opens a door, and he's like flung off of the roof, and she bolts again. There's a bunch of cat and mouse where they're just basically like, you know, yeah. she'll run, he'll pop up behind her, sometimes he'll tackle her in the woods. Yes, yeah, Joe ends up getting away. It takes a lot of cues from the Mrs. Voorhees Alice confrontation at the end of the first one, and I think to its detriment a little bit. Uh yeah. it's, I, I think it does move better. Uh mm-hmm. it's it doesn't feel quite as drawn out as that one does, but I think it still feels like uh, it's it's longer than it needs to be. Yeah, I agree. Uh, finally, um, she gets to his cabin in the woods, which she doesn't realize is his cabin. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. I, 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 she gets to another cabin in the campground, uh, and he's she hides under a bed. Yeah, yes. yeah. I'm glad I, glad I remembered this. She hides under a bed, and he's sort of like clomping around in his work boots, and she's trying to be quiet, but then a rat comes out, and runs by her face. Uh-huh. And she's so scared that she pisses herself. Yeah, this is really weird. Um, really weird. Yeah. Um, and so, so like, yeah, a puddle of piss just starts coming out from under the bed. And Jason must see it <laughs> because he pretends to leave. Yeah. And it's quiet. And then so she, it's she comes out front of the bed and Jason's there with a pitchfork standing on a chair mm-hmm. about to like plunge it into her when the fucking chair collapses and he falls to the ground. It's, an, it's a weird series of events. This is a crazy scene. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I will say that this scene didn't drag. It was so strange that, uh, yeah, I had no objection to this part. <laughs> um, she pulls out the chainsaw that she had put, put away earlier and lightly scrapes Jason's arms with it, mm-hmm. and he doubles over, and she hits him with a cha- with a chair, which shatters. Does not finish the job. Instead, she runs through the woods and finds Jason's shack. Yeah, and I want to say that this is I I I had a moment where I was like, this is interesting because I feel like this is the first time we really get what is in my mind like a signature trope of this franchise, which is Jason chasing uh, a woman through the woods. Yes. Yeah. You know, which, yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, sounded like you were going to say something else. Um, there's a really cool shot when she enters his cabin, like you can see out of the window mm-hmm. uh, as she's coming through the door and you see Jason running towards us, like kind of in the distance. Yeah. And I love those shots. I love that to me is scarier than having somebody right just pop out absolutely and get you just to see some something in the distance. And that's what I love so much about the movie Halloween mm-hmm. and also the movie It, it Follows. Follows. Yeah, I was exactly just thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, it's always the scariest part of any horror movie that it happens in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and It Follows is just basically just that for yeah. ninety minutes or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. That movie fucking rules. Um, so she finds his shrine to his dead mother, which includes her severed head and her sweater. And we see Terry lying there and some other dead bodies. And he starts chopping away at the door behind her with a pickaxe. So she gets a bright idea, 
pretends to be his mom by putting on her sweater. Yeah. Now, and I was just going to say this. Uh, this is something that watching it now as an adult, I was like, this is a bit of a stretch. It, but. I remember thinking that this was, like, very clever the first time I saw this. And I was probably, like, 13, you know? Yeah. But I was like, oh, this is... You know, it is something that, like, doesn't make a ton of sense upon close inspection. But for the logic that usually goes into horror movies, slasher movies in particular like this, I think it's, like, a cool kind of clever uh, defense that you you wouldn't really expect to see. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it, and it, you know, it mostly works too, because she starts talking like she's, she's mm-hmm. Betsy, uh, Palmer, not Betsy Palmer, Mrs. Voorhees played yeah. by Betsy Palmer. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, it's all done, Jason. You've done your job. Mommy's pleased. Come to mommy. Mm-hmm. You get Betsy Palmer superimposed on her face. Yeah. Uh, did you know previous to watching that documentary that Gene Siskel, was I, and I love Siskel and Ebert. Mm-hmm. They're they're like formative movie critics sure. for me. Gene Siskel was so upset by the first Friday the Thirteenth movie that he gave out Betsy Palmer's home address in yeah. his review of the movie. Yeah, he. Yeah, I think he hit her hometown, and then he gave someone else's address. But yes, he basically like eighties style tried to dox the dox producer him. and Betsy Palmer, like. Gene Siskel was an asshole about this movie, or yeah, specifically about the first one. But like all of this stuff, he had such a crazy hard on for slasher movies in particular. Mm-hmm. But I think both of those guys didn't—they didn't have patience for horror movies, and I think that is a gap in their, like, yeah, you know, uh, and like, yeah, just in in their professional careers. I think they were both had some pretty knee-jerk reactions about horror as a genre, and I think, uh, you know, they're kind of on the wrong side of history. Yeah, I agree. Although they did give Halloween a best picture, one of the, uh, sorry, like, in their like top ten list, Halloween was on there. Okay. And Dawn of the Dead also was on Ebert's, at least. Interesting. Uh, well, maybe for, it's for just that Siskel, same year. then. Well, no, no you, you're, not, you're not wrong, though, because... They both had issues other than the original Halloween with slasher movies, mm-hmm. and specifically the Friday the Thirteenth movies. Yeah, uh, and like Ebert just ended up calling them "dead teenagers in the woods" movies. Right. Um, but yeah, they're generally, unless you're talking about like the top of the top, like they're not horror movie. They never were horror movie fans, really. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's something that like whenever I would, I would religiously read. Ebert's reviews every week to see like what movies I would want to watch, and anytime as a horror movie, I would be like, "Well, I can't even, I I can't take this sure seriously." So who cares? Oh, although he did give four stars to Blair Witch, so you know, okay, who knows? Um, so she's about to chop his head off because he's all like thinking that mm. she's his mom. He's yeah, and uh, he notices the severed head behind her. Yeah, and he's like, "Wait a minute." How can you be two places at once? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he blocks her machete and knocks it out of her hands. Um, and she gets slashed in the leg with a pickaxe, which is yeah. gnarly looking. Yeah. Did you did you know that uh, where she goes to chop at him uh, in shooting the first time they did it, 
there was a fuck up in timing and she nearly severed one of his fingers. Yeah. 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 He had to be rushed to the ER and they ended up doing it again, I think a day or even maybe the same day. I think it was the uh, same day. Yeah. They finished the scene. He was, he was quite a, a, a tough guy, Steve Dash. But yeah, that was an unfortunate fuck up. Uh, luckily, he was able to retain his finger and the use of it. Um, so Paul arrives and struggles with Jason. Then she picks up the fallen machete and she's right about to give that final killing blow. And it goes in slow mo. She chops him in the kind of like in the shoulder mm-hmm. back of the neck area, but doesn't sever his head. Right. And he falls over, and they think he's dead like fucking idiots. Mm-hmm. Uh, she pulls his bag mask off, and they react like it's like fucking super fucked up. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, but we don't see it yet. They hobble out of there. Paul carries her to the cabin, um, puts her on a bed, and they hear something at the front door, and Paul goes to the door with a shovel for protection. She's on the bed with a pitchfork. With her back to the window. It is actually pretty tense. Mm-hmm. He opens a door. Muffins there. Yeah. Which begs the question, whose dog was dead in the woods earlier? I don't know. Yeah. It, it, this surprised me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, fuck yeah, Muffin. They faked us the, out. <laughs> yeah. The music swells. It's like this big <laughs> heartfelt moment. And then, bam, Jason crashes through the window behind her. His face is all fucked up. Yeah. There's a machete sticking out of his shoulder. He grabs her. We fade to white. And then, much like the first movie, she's getting loaded into an ambulance, and she asks where Paul is. There's kind of an unreal quality to it. Like, you're not really sure what's happening. And then, back at Jason's shack, his mother's severed head lies on the table. We fade to black. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a weird ending. It's confusing. That it's confusing. What happened to Paul? Why are we back at the cabin looking at the severed head? Yeah. And of course, you and I know the answer because we saw the documentary. Uh, do you want to enlighten our listeners? Well, yeah, they had originally set up to shoot this so that the head then opens its eyes. Um and I think and smiles. Yeah. <laughs> and I think rightfully uh, cooler heads prevailed and they were like, that is silly and doesn't make any sense. And so they didn't end up yeah. using it, but it does make for a pretty muddled ending. And I think, you know, yeah. we're, we're about to get into the whole wrap up of this movie, but I think that this is as good a place as any to say that like really to me, the only places this movie suffers is right at the end. And at the beginning, it's sort of, mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that it's bookended by, I think it's weakest portions. Um, yeah and also that they had believed that Jason's mother's head smiling (laughs) would have clarified what happened to Paul what I don't think that's true they're like oh yeah because you know that was supposed to imply that Paul had been murdered by Jason yeah how but I don't understand how that does that (laughs) so yeah Yeah, we never really know what happened to Paul but anyways yeah that is Friday the 13th part 2 yeah woo so, of course, here on Kill Streak, we have a, uh, some categories we'd like to go over. Uh, the body count at the end was all nine, was nine people killed. Uh, I think one less than the original movie. Mm. Uh, Mike, who was your favorite character? Um, whew, this is a tough one. Um, I mean, I want to cheat 
if I can. Sure. Uh, yeah. And I because there's so there's so much deliberate coupling in this movie. Um, you know, you have I want to say four distinct kind of couples, not necessarily that sleep together, but at least sort of paired off. Right? You have Ginny and Paul. Uh, you have Terry and Scott. You have um, Jeff and what's her name? Help me out here. Sandra. Sandra. And then my vote for favorite character, I am going to go with the combined couple power of Mark and Vicky. I think Mark that, and Vicky? Yeah. I think that I really enjoy the two of them flirting. Um, and I think just in general... My like a lot of my favorite scenes in this movie for odd reasons are just like Mark and Vicky, uh, will they, won't they kind of stuff. Sure. And then also her hilarious uh, brown sexy underwear. <laughs> <laughs> She's cute as a button too. Absolutely. Uh, what about spade you? And spade here. Yeah. What's your, who's uh, your favorite character? Even though I had. Um, a difficult time understanding him. Mm-hmm. And I, I initially pegged him as the Ned. Right. I think my favorite character is Ted because for the aforementioned reason <laughs> that he's a fucking party animal yeah. and he ends up surviving because he's just like, I want to go to an after hours place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Let's get some rowdy powder and keep this thing going. <laughs> uh, I love that. I think Ted is a great, great nominee. And again, a true disappointment that a I think I think two mistakes this movie really makes one we lose Ralph and two we don't get to see Ted in future installments no yeah um so of course uh, a segment we like a, a category we always like to point out is moments that age the worst um I mean I think it's we have the same clear word that it's, <laughs> yeah it's just, it's probably uh, going to be um, um Ginny dropping the hard r word yeah Ginny and her frightened r word um yeah it really i mean and i think this is a true case of aging so badly because i mean you know i grew up in the 80s yeah uh, this was a word that people used with some frequency oh, yeah. back then so yeah. much um and it just oh man does it land like a fucking ton of bricks yeah and to be to be fair like it's a movie that was you know i'm sorry a movie it's a phrase that was never right to say but people said it up until like 10 years ago yeah it's it's a pretty recently crossed off a list of acceptable language yeah um but yeah really like it's been so long since I've heard that word that it mm-hmm. really jumped out at me. <clears throat> so, uh, next up, next up, we have best death. You know, there's some lackluster, mo- mm-hmm. some gore in this movie. Yeah, but Mike, why don't you uh, kick this off and tell us what your favorite death? Sure. Is. So we have uh, nine of them, and a couple of them happen off screen. Yeah, uh, again, this is like one more place to just shout out. I wish, I wish I could see an uncut copy of this movie. Me too. Because um, I bet some of these deaths are great uh, in their full-length versions. But for me, I'm going to go with Mark. Uh, we talked about this earlier. The machete in the, in the face. 
is insane. Yeah. And then and then his wheelchair ride. Uh, it's it's a very exciting, very memorable death scene. Yeah, I mean that's that's mine as well. It's hard. It would be hard to argue for any other death in the movie being as effective as that one. Yeah, like it's really it's it it's the one that stands out the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not going to go into a long-winded explanation of the Carpenter scale because at this point, if you you're know. jumping in at Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, then you know maybe figure go back and listen to some other episodes. Yeah, figure it out your damn self. <laughs> yeah, where does this movie fall for you? On the Carpenter scale. Um, okay, this movie on the Carpenter scale uh, is... What should we say? It's not that scary. Um, no, it's not. It's got a couple good ones. And I will say that that last Jason busting through the glass window is pretty solid. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give this one... Uh, Christine. Fuck. Did well, I steal we, yours again? We always think <laughs> we always feel like we can't say the same thing. We can. Mine's we're zeroed also Christine. In. Yeah, we are you and I, we are yeah. really zeroed in on the Carpenter scale at this point. Christine, which features Stu Charno. That's right. Who plays Ted. If you want some more Ted action, so. head over to Christine. Alright. Uh, uh all right, so just on a very binary pass-fail, I think you can tell by the way we've been talking about this movie, this is a good movie. I yeah. loved watching it. Definitely passes for me. Um, we do... So, okay, tying that back, you know, we will get around to ranking all of these movies. Mm. I think it's pretty clear that we enjoyed this movie more than its predecessor, which puts it in a very interesting place. Yeah. Which, it's a sequel that we believe is better than the original. Yeah, well, I think we're both definitely, we're definitely in agreement on that. I think this one one-ups the first one handily mm-hmm. for me. So we wanted to do a, a an edition of Staff Picks, which is where if we were curating uh, a video store, and mm-hmm. if, oh, you like this movie? Well, then you might like this movie. Yeah. So for staff picks, we're focusing in on sequels that were better than the original. It was a hard thing. Yeah. But I came up with two choices. All right. What's your first one? Yeah. My first choice is Phantasm 2. Ooh. Um, I've recently watched all of the Phantasm movies. Mm -hmm. I've previously only seen the first couple, I think. Yeah. And Phantasm 2... has a lot of things going for it that the original didn't. It's the biggest budget of any of the Phantasm movies. Um, and I believe that is true. Hold on. Yeah. It, I think now that I, I can, said it, it, it is. It is. I, the, I think I can Lord definitely dead, confirm right? that. Yeah. Because yeah. the first one was a surprise success. And so the, yes. the studio pumped a bunch of money into the second one and made them change you know, some cast members and stuff. But it definitely it turns into an almost different kind of movie. In some ways, yeah, it's not Lord of Dead. I'm sorry, that's part three, but still, it is the biggest budget of all of all of the Phantasm movies. Uh, and I do, I like the first Phantasm movie, but uh, there are certain things about it that just kind of are frustrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they smooth a lot of that out in part two. Obviously, you need to see part two to even understand what's happening in part. I'm sorry, part one to even understand mm-hmm. what's happening in part two. But one could argue that you're never really sure what's happening 
in yeah. a Phantasm movie. Yeah, that's an interesting pick. I've I've seen all the Phantasm movies too. Uh, this is not one. I don't think Phantasm Two is bad by any stretch, but I probably I I'm still a Phantasm. Uh, I, I I like the first one better, um, but I think that's you know very subjective. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, that's that's kind of the problem. Not the mm-hmm. problem with this segment, but it's yeah. like. Yeah, it is a subjective thing, but yeah. so isn't all of this. Well, so here's another subjective one, uh, and I'm sure that probably I can think of at least one listener who is probably going to disagree with me on this, but I'm going to pull mine from the the Child's Play franchise, or what morphs... You motherfucker. <laughs> Did I steal your second one? I think so. Let's see. It's here. <laughs> um, well, I don't know if this is the one you're going to go with, uh, but... For me, my favorite installment in the Child's Play franchise is Bride of Chucky. Um, yep, that was my that was my second pick. Really, Bride of uh, Chucky. It's my favorite of the Child's Play movies. Yeah, same here. Well, this is we really fucked we really fucked this up, but that's okay. We've got a couple <laughs> we've got a couple more we can talk about together. Uh, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about Bride of Chucky and why you like it so much? It's hilarious. It's it's uh, I mean it, it's way more comedic. I mean, eventually, after that, it, it really marked a comedic path that the movies yeah. went down. Although I've never seen Seed of Chucky or whatever the latest one was. I haven't seen it. So the we'll new ones, there, sure. the newest two, Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky, not counting the reboot, uh, they actually yeah. kind of go... They it, it's The series follows a really interesting arc, and I think we'll definitely cover it one day. Um, they get less... It peaks in craziness with Seed of Chucky, or I should say, in terms of comedy. Uh, uh-huh. Seed of Chucky is almost an outright satire. Um, mm-hmm. And then things kind of come back in with Curse of Chucky, which is almost like a semi-reboot, but it's not... But it's like definitely has a more serious tone. And then, uh-huh. the, and then the newest one, Cult of Chucky... Uh, I think again starts to stretch out a little bit and has some more of the comedic elements, but still manages to be at a more serious register than either Bride of Chucky or Seed of Chucky. I think. Yeah, and I think Bride of Chucky is just so funny. I love a good horror comedy. Yeah, I think that's kind of my my favorite genre, and you don't see a lot of them because they don't do well typically. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, and I just thought it just was so funny. And um, it's just you know, what what more can I what more can I say? Why don't you talk about why you like it so? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I'll I'll be honest that I'm a little bit biased in the sense that this is one of those movies that I very distinctly remember going to see and had like yes. just like a real positive experience. I think this came out around Halloween. Uh, I would have been. Probably, I want to say, in junior high or just starting high school when this came out. Um, I'll look it up. Yeah. I saw it in the theaters, too. Yeah, I saw it in the theater with some friends. Just really had a blast. It was just like a fun, a little bit scary, a little bit gross, mostly funny movie. I think it's got a fun soundtrack. Uh, I think the direction is very sort of stylish in a way that the others aren't. That's a credit to Ronnie Yu, the director. Um. Yeah. All. All in all, it came it's out just, in '98. Okay. So yeah, that would have been uh, probably the beginning of my freshman year of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just all in all, it's like a real fun movie. I think. So two that we didn't bring up initially, but we should address. Mm-hmm. 
we just kind of thought they were a little too. Yeah, we skipped we skipped them for feeling they feel obvious, right? Yeah, which is Evil Dead Two and Dawn of the Dead, um, <laughs> which, which is yeah. funny because like the whole premise of this is, or what are some sequels that are better than? Yeah, those are like the two <laughs> best answers yeah. to that question, probably. Yeah, yeah, I think Dawn totally. of the Dawn of the Dead and Evil uh, Dead Two, Dead by Dawn. But yeah, we just we were like, well, of course, our listeners know this <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's the idea behind it is we don't want to tell you guys stuff that you already definitely know but in case you're not familiar uh i think they're both movies that are great and they succeed i think for similar reasons which is just you have a very low budgeted first movie um that succeeds greatly and for like allows the same director to come back and make a much larger production Mm-hmm. Um, and they're very different in tone, um, but I think they both succeed for that reason because it's essentially it feels like you know um, you've emboldened a talented director to spend a lot more money, and they both uh, both Sam Raimi and George Romero I think did a really good job with that. Did you have another one? I too? do. I had one more, uh, which I'll throw out there. Um, this one. Uh, a little more on the action side of things, early comic adaptation, actually. So I'm going to go with the Blade series. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the first Blade is a fine film. It's not bad, but it's not mm-hmm. super exciting. Um, you know, it's kind of necessary because it introduces us to the world of Blade and to the characters. Um, but Blade 2 for me, yeah. is honestly, uh, I think it overlooked pretty awesome movie. It is, I mean, this couldn't shouldn't come as a huge shock to people because it is directed by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, yeah. You know, like, perennial Oscar nominee. Um, but yeah, this is really early on in his um, English language directing career. Um, in fact, I want to say this is the second uh, English language film that he did uh, after I, Mimic. I've been meaning to revisit the first two Blade movies because those mm. fucking movies. I loved, I loved the first one and I loved the second one. Yeah, uh, but I'd seen the first. I've seen the first one more times just because I was like kind of obsessed with it when I was in mm-hmm. high school. Um, this movie is fucking slap. Yeah, specifically Blade Two. Um, really succeeds in my mind because the first movie is saddled with so much world building and like exposition. Right. And like blade two just kicks ass from the beginning. I mean, it's an action movie all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like fun and games the whole time. Yeah. Just like nonstop ass kicking some great visuals, you know, what you'd expect from Guillermo del Toro, like fight choreography. Amazing. Like there's some really great, uh, martial arts and sword work from you know and Wesley Snipes is uh, is a guy who like I think a lot of people don't realize this because he had such a legitimate acting career but in the mold of you know those action stars like a Chuck Norris or a Bruce Lee or a Steven Seagal who are like supposedly you know kind of uh, action actors that are famous for being real life martial artists 
Right. Um, Wesley Snipes is 100% one of those guys. Wesley Snipes is like a black belt multiple times across different martial arts disciplines. Yeah. Um, And there's a famous uh, behind-the-scenes story uh, of shooting Demolition Man. Do you know this? Uh, I don't think so. Maybe. So I don't know. This might be apocryphal, but I'm pretty sure this is a, this is legit. So Wesley Snipes helped choreograph some of his own fight moves in Demolition Man, which is a hilarious sci-fi action movie that everyone should see if they haven't with Sylvester mm-hmm. Stallone. Um, but they were filming him, and essentially what ended up happening was they had to go back and reshoot some of the fight scenes and make him slow down. Because oh yes, I did hear this. Yeah, yeah, because like his fight choreography was too fast to play on camera, so it like you couldn't tell what was going on because he was just too fast. Um, which is, I Jesus. think, yeah, it's really cool. Um, but yeah, anyways, got diverted. But Blade Two, if that sounds like fun to you, if you want to see Wesley Snipes doing crazy martial arts, ass kicking, and just like insane gore and vampires and you like Guillermo del Toro, uh, I highly recommend it. Well, guys, we would love to hear from you about sequels that you think surpass the original horror movies, of course, or horror, you know, in the horror realm. Keep Uh, it in the neighborhood. So keep it in the neighborhood. Keep it in the family. What? (laughs) I don't know. Mike, want to tell the listeners where they can uh, reach out to us? Yeah, as always, you can email us at killstreakpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also leave us a voicemail if you go to, if you go to our website, anchor.fm slash killstreakpod. And we will be back uh, at the beginning of next week, so just in a few days, covering Friday the 13th Part 3, which you can find on Amazon Prime. Hell Yeah. And as always, everything else work all right? That's cool. I just want your fingers. <laughs>